Welcome to Base Liberty, your source for politics. The government is way too big, way too intrusive. We are overtaxed. History. The right to self-defense is a natural, God-given right. The founders clearly understood this. Economics. We can't just keep printing off money. We can't just keep borrowing money. If you think this path is sustainable, then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. And more. From a liberty perspective. I've got to disagree with you there. The income tax is clearly immoral because it assumes you don't own the fruit of your labor, the government. With your host, Darren Wisely. Deregulation and decentralization are the answers if we're ever going to get this thing back on track. We need to look to families, churches, and charities, not the state. Welcome to Base Liberty, episode 14. Darren Wisely here. We got a real special episode for you today. And got to give a shout out to Remzo Martinez. He's the one who set this up and suggested it. So today we have a special guest, uh, Pat McGeehan. Pat represents the 1st District in the West Virginia House of Delegates. He earned his Bachelor of Science in General Engineering from the Air Force Academy. He served in the Air Force as an intelligence officer, uh, went on to be the president of two companies, and has written three books, uh, the first of which, Printing Our Way Out of Poverty, The Consequences of American Inflation, received high remarks from the Ron Paul, and his most recent is Stoicism in the State House, an old philosophy serving a new way. Pat's one of the good ones, and I think that'll be ever apparent. Uh, he's fighting the fight for liberty, and I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. There's so much good information to take away from this, and it's very conversational, so uh, we'll just get right into it. And- I just got home from my, uh, so so the, the legislature is part-time in West Virginia, so I have a real job. But on top of that, I'm going to grad school to try to uh, hopefully get my PhD in, in philosophy. So I just made it home from courses, uh, you know, this evening, and uh, I stayed like an extra hour in like heated debate with uh, my professor and uh, and this other student who's much younger than I am. And uh, so it was fun, you know, man. It was it was uh, I I just started grad school like uh, over the summer. And uh, so I want, I'd like to knock it out. It was, it was, um, I feel like, you know, I, I personally won the debate, but anyway, <laughs> hey, I see the betrayal of the American right on your shelf. I really like that book. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. Got uh, Tom Woods yeah. writing the uh, nice. intro there. Nice, nice. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. You know what? I I started a little project. I um. I I I since since Western civilization seems to be burning to the ground, um, I uh I I decided I was going to try to, um, you know, just basically find good deals here and there every now and then on Amazon for anything I considered of value to Western civilization that was written in the last like twenty five hundred years. And so I've got like expanding everything. I've got like poetry from Yeats and Wadsworth from the 19th century all the way to like, you know, some of the great Russian novelists to, you know, of course, all the the Greeks and everything all the way back. So, um, yeah, all the church fathers, you know, so, yeah, poetry, uh, you name it, man, uh, uh, plays, you know, so, um, 
anyway, so I don't know. Yeah, it's a little project of mine. <laughs> That's awesome. You ever uh, stop by Half Price Books or uh, any places I, I like, like that? I should get into some of those other places. I'm just like not technically savvy, and I'm like don't like change sometimes. So I just go to Amazon. That's what I'm familiar with, and it's just like the one click thing. So I'll buy used books, but I'm open to suggestions. I'm always scared I'm going to get ripped off on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there, man. But uh, I mean like the physical oh, stores, oh, like yeah. uh, stopping into a half-price books. You can find a lot of really good deals. Sometimes I find something for like a right. $2, $3, uh, yeah, something yeah. like no, that. No, 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 so. no. Yeah, I, I was just – so uh, uh, I just got engaged actually like three weeks ago. And um, so my girlfriend and I decided we were going to go to Boston this past weekend for like – day and a half two days and longer story really why we wanted to just go to, to boston we originally wanted to see a red sox game together back when we were like you know together pre-pandemic but uh so anyway we ended up going up there anyway and uh uh we went to this bookstore up there it was it was it was awesome man and uh you know three hours later like so i spent like half a day in a bookstore in Boston and she wasn't very happy about it. But I mean, she's the one that was like, Hey, there's a bookstore. I'm like, yeah, let's go in there. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, now, I, now listen, I gotta, um, apologize. I, uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, uh, wisely, right? Yep. All good. So, and Pat, you pronounce your name McGeehan, is yeah. that correct? McGeehan, yeah. It's just the H is silent. It's like a Gaelic thing, I guess, Irish thing. I'm an Irish Catholic, so. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, looked you up a little bit preparing for the show, and uh, you're 40, is that correct? Yeah. Don't remind me. Huh? Well, it's funny because in the video uh, on Twitter – I thought you were my age or like 30. Uh, so no, on the bright side, you no. definitely age well. That's uh, something you can say. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. You know, I mean, I had open heart surgery two years ago, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm cured now. I had some sort of rare condition that was evidently genetic. It just basically means I had an enlarged heart. called a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And I started getting symptoms a few years ago where I was getting short of breath and stuff and they couldn't figure it out. And anyway, I ended up at the Cleveland clinic and, um, um, they took off part of my heart and, um, and I'm cured now. So I ran the Pittsburgh marathon last year. You know, Hey, do you know how, um, how you can tell if someone ran a marathon? No. How's that? They'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I see that. <laughs> my girlfriend, my girlfriend told me that joke. Cause I, yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of like uh, CrossFit or something well, like that. Sometimes I just use it to break the ice as, you know, like something to talk about. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, but, sure. Uh, that makes and, sense. And But it, sometimes it would come off as like, you know, I'm bragging. But, like, I wasn't breaking any records, man. I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, just the fact that you got out there and did it yeah. is impressive on its own there. Yeah. So you were an Air Force captain. Is that correct? Yeah, I was an intelligence officer in the Air Force. Um, yeah, served served in the Air Force after um, the academy and uh, uh, got out and um, was in business for a little bit. And now I, um, I help manage uh, an alternative uh, school, basically for troubled children 
that's my day, my day job. And I write books that do moderately okay. Yeah, I see you've written a couple books here. Um, the first one is Printing Our Way to Poverty, The Consequences of American Inflation. Yeah, that's right, right. Yeah, monetary policy, yeah. Cool, and I see uh, Ron Paul gave you praises yeah, on it, huh? Yeah, I mean. That's awesome. You know, I don't, I, you know he, he probably was just being nice. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the last one, I think, it did the best. It um, it went to uh, number one on Amazon for its category for three to four weeks, I think. So I was like mildly surprised with that, and it did pretty good. It was it was on the Stoic philosophy, with the uh, Stoicism and the State yeah, House one. Yeah, yeah. So that and that and I think that did the best because the middle section of it it reads like a story, it's sort of on the decline um, of the and, and and the end of the Roman Republic. Um, so, and I try to write it in a way that, you know, um, would be appealing to, to, a, you know, an average guy that that's, you know, pretty educated and, you know, is aware of certain concepts, but, you know, might not be in like a, you know, expert or, uh, uh, into like esoteric things, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's awesome. There's definitely a lot of parallels there. And I think there's really, a big market for what you're doing. Um, even for someone like myself who, you know, gets these right. basic concepts, but isn't super advanced and wants to kind of dig in learn yeah. more and build upon that. Yeah. Well, there's definitely a need for what you're doing. So that's awesome. And it makes sense why you're studying philosophy. Uh, where are you doing that at again? Oh, uh, for Franciscan university in Steubenville, Ohio, which is, like right down the road from where I live, uh, across the river. I, I live in the very northern little panhandle of West Virginia. I'm sandwiched in between Pittsburgh and uh, Ohio, the Ohio Valley. Um, you know, like I can drive, I can see Ohio from my window and uh, just go across the bridge, across the Ohio River, and then drive about 45 minutes up the road. I'm in Youngstown. And, uh, yeah. And so, um, um, yeah, so the Ohio Valley region, um, and, uh, I'm from a small little town called Chester, West Virginia. It's the, 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 the North I'm, I'm North of Pittsburgh by latitude. So, yeah. So the rest of the state of West Virginia, unless they're in the legislature, they don't know <laughs> where Chester, West Virginia is. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So you're in the West Virginia House of Delegates. Um, tell us about your political journey. What got you started? Give us a little overview um, on um, this, if you can. I mean, it goes back a ways now. I'm 40. I don't want to. I've already given away my age, I guess. But, um, yeah, I didn't really imagine I'd ever get into politics, much less become a politician. Um, but, uh uh, you know, I had my own business. Um, after the service, I moved home to, uh, to, to my hometown here in West Virginia and um, just kind of noticed that there was a lot of uh, people elected to office that didn't seem like they had the best interest of the folks that live around here in mind. And I guess to put it mildly, um, I just thought, well, maybe I could do something about that. 
So that's how I sort of first got involved. Uh, I ran for the state house for state delegate um, back in 2008. And, um, you know, just by luck, I happened to, to win the election. So that's how I first got involved, really. It was because I just thought, just seemed to be a very corrupt atmosphere, um, politically speaking, which probably is not very surprising uh, to you. But, uh, uh, you know, the corruption sort of seems to be very rampant in West Virginia politics in particular, going back generations. So that's what first led me to it. Right on. Well, that's definitely a great reason to get involved. We need more people like you who are not corrupt. And corruption's a big issue in politics. I uh, myself dabbled at the state level a little bit, and I'm heavily involved here in local politics here in Hillsdale. And when it comes to corruption, what I've noticed is a lot of people think of Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton, um, but they don't really think about corruption that goes on at the local and state level, and that's because it doesn't get that uh, same attention uh, from the media. Yeah, that's right. Um, it doesn't. Unfortunately, it is becoming more and more covered because um, it's I think symptomatic of the times, so to speak. Um, there's been a lot of uh, uh, scandals in Charleston, the state capital here in West Virginia, my home state. Just in the last couple of years, uh, we impeached every justice on the state Supreme Court here two what? years ago. What? That's yes. crazy. Um, um, I mean, I don't want to get sidetracked and go into that whole uh, rigmarole, but essentially they took taxpayer money and lavishly spent it for, you know, personal enhancements to their offices. Some of them uh, were taking state-owned cars and using them for personal business, promoting their own books, you know, going golfing with different, uh, you know, different characters. Um, so, you know, just a lot of um, irresponsibility, um, setting a poor example in general. And, um, yeah, I think that's one huge problem that uh, we as a country have, um, not even, you know, sort of divorced from an ideological perspective, just looking at it in the abstract um, and proposing a concept that, a lot of people could, regardless if you're Republican or Democrat, could probably agree to. And that is that, you know, we have essentially leaders of many of our social institutions in this country, not just the government, but, you know, the church, um, universities, education, um, you name it, that have, instead of pursuing the truth and, um, you know, serving the public in the best way they can or demonstrating some sort of virtue um, in the classical sense that we were always taught in the West, they've instead turned to self-aggrandizement, pursuing their own power, not the truth. And, um, um, and, and when it comes to so-called public servants in the government, that's an oxymoron anymore. They right, pursue right. their own interests exactly. at the expense of the people yep. that they were sworn yep. to serve. And so um, that's been happening for generations. So my point is, I guess it's 
nothing that has just come about overnight. So when we, you know, look at the news and we, and we see what appears to us to be some sort of miniature French revolution or something that the Parisians would have witnessed in the late 18th century with all of these urban cities on fire and violence. And, you know, um, we have to come to realize that uh, this did not happen overnight. Our country is not in this position because of one man or one woman or one generation. It's right. been generational that's led us to this point, unfortunately. And that's why, to get back to your point, I think it's very important that we have uh, elected officials at the state level, in the state legislature, and other local um, institutions that are are good, decent people that you know are are well educated and um, can help. In a way, I'm sorry to put it this way, mitigate the damage in the fallout. No, that's that, inevitable. Yeah, exactly. We, we're $27 trillion in debt. There's no way that's ever getting paid off. I don't know how the cards are going to fall or how what it's going to look like or how much longer it's going to be sustained. But if um, if if you know you think that it's chaotic now, wait to till the house of cards literally comes collapsing down and um, unfortunately, I think we'll see that within our lifetimes. And so we need good men and women in, in positions of authority that can be trusted to make very tough decisions without the special interest influences that are always going to be waiting to take advantage of these emergency type situations. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And uh, I appreciate you, you know, saying it like it is, speaking the truth. But my question is, what do we, knowing this information, what do we do about it? Um, we know special interest has a huge hold and influence on politics. Um, but what do we actually do to minimize their influence or to start uh, changing things around? I think at first, um, we need people uh, that we do trust, that are like-minded, that know history, that 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 have learned the lessons of history, that have a book collection like yours. Um, we need people like that to not only step up, but to once they, they get into the state legislature, for instance, I'll just use my own experience as an example. Once they get into the state legislature, for instance, they have to remain disciplined and forego their own personal ambition. If I had all of the constitutionalists that were in the legislature at one point in time with me. Uh, this, this is my fourth term, so I'm going on eight years in the legislature. Um, it doesn't seem like it's been that long. Um, so I'm running for you know my fifth term. Um, but throughout all those years, if all those men and women that were like-minded that understood the same conceptual realities and the dangerous, now kind of somewhat irrevocable predicament we're in, if they were still in the legislature, instead of becoming tempted, tempted to run for higher office and lose, um, you know, we could really make a difference. 
we could have possibly forestalled or reversed the process that seems to be, you know, unreversible now, um, unfortunately. I, I hope I'm wrong on that case. But I think just making sure that, you know, we don't give in to our, our personal ambitions. And, and sometimes that comes from cheerleaders that say, hey, you, you need to run for the U.S. Senate or you need to run for Congress now. You need to be moving up. Um, and sometimes that comes from genuine people that just don't understand that that's probably not the right decision. Um, you know, that, you know, that, that, that if we use practical wisdom, that's probably better that you stay where you're at because you can make a bigger impact, right. even though you're on a smaller scale for the people at home. Um, but also you have a lot of, uh, people that I would call are in the, uh, political class or the politico types that just make money off of running campaigns they're like professional campaigners you know like professional campaign managers or or whatever and they're just looking for people you know they're just looking for a paycheck in right they don't care they're not ideological industry. at all yeah they might pretend they're ideological right you know they'll tell you what they think you want to hear but they'll say, hey, if, if I can convince this guy to run for some higher office, I can raise all this money from donors and I'll take 10 percent. Right. You know? yep. Oh, and by the way, I don't really care if the guy wins or loses. You know? Right. They're still getting can, a paycheck anyways. Yeah, it's a paycheck for two years or, or a year or however long that campaign season is. It's always like as soon as you're done with one campaign, they start expecting you to start campaigning again, which is ridiculous. And uh, or or or, you know, they just look at it as I'll put it on my resume. As long as we get close, then, you know, I can say uh, declare victory and move on to the next greatest thing. And and people fall for that and they will tell you what they think you want to hear. And they will, um, you know, they're psychophants. So, uh, you know, those are things that are red flags that people need to be aware of and they need to be more disciplined and and and. Um, and sometimes they rationalize their way into um, uh, making decisions that are probably, um, you know, less than wise. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's one thing. And uh, another thing is that you know, we do need to get people more involved in politics. The problem is, you know, it's 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 darn difficult. I mean, 75 percent of the time I detest politics. Yep. I do enjoy ideas and arguing, uh, making salient sound arguments uh, about good, you know, ideas that that I believe are very virtuous. Um, I enjoy that part, but the rest, I don't care for. I mean, because listen, I mean, when you're at the state house, you know, in Charleston, we have a, a, a Capitol building that has a golden dome. It's plated in 24 karat gold. They built the thing in the depths of the Great Depression. So half the state was starving, looking for a job and unemployed. And they decided to build this enormous, very expensive capital building in Charleston, West Virginia, one of the poorest states in the country, even today, and, and line it in gold. So that just gives you a little bit of a anecdotal reference to help backwards government usually has things um but you know i guess my point is that uh uh uh, when you get down there 
kind of lost track actually what the heck my point was. I started going off on that uh, uh, Golden Dome thing. No, don't worry really about it. I think the viewers will up. find that uh, really interesting <laughs> yeah, really information. So thanks for sharing that. You know, you basically just need to stay away from uh, a lot of the um, a lot of the lobbyists, the personalities. That's where I was going with that. The personalities underneath that uh, dome, the Capitol Dome, um, are people that you and I probably would never choose to actually hang out with, um, you know, in a normal setting. Um, they're the kind of narcissists and egomaniacs. Um, they're the kind of people that will come up to you and they'll ask you how your day is going, but they pay zero attention to your answer. You know, like you could say, it's not going very well. You know, my grandmother just, got um, diagnosed with phase four cancer last night and this guy who asked you that question would say oh man that's great man well listen i'll see you tomorrow <laughs> yeah. And walk away. oh yeah yep exactly those are the kind of personalities typically that are in these positions of power and they could care less about um the decisions that are actually made it's usually um their votes are going to the highest bidder or you know they don't bother you know, educating themselves on, on, on what's at stake. So, yeah, uh, that's a great point. I mean, it seems like, you know, 99% of people in politics today just kind of go whatever way the wind's blown. They're not really grounded, uh, in anything. And I can tell with you, you know, you're very well educated. You're very well read. Um, you're grounded in a strong political philosophy, uh, which I really am impressed by, but, uh, how did this develop? How did your political philosophy and um, your foundational beliefs? You mean uh, uh, just reading and, and and oh yeah, uh, I guess I've always just been curious about the world. Um, I went I went to college at the Air Force Academy, and I honestly thought I was just going to be a fighter pilot, and you know. Uh, graduate and go fly like f-15s or something and have women falling all over me and uh, yeah, you know, like, kinda, top gun. like tom cruise and top gun you know when you're like 19 years old you have stupid thoughts like that like oh yeah that's gonna be awesome that's gonna be me man so but i had philosophy class still that i was required to take there and i remember um my first philosophy class at the academy was my sophomore year. And I think it was like an introduction to ethics. And, um, um, I, uh, I remember the class only because I met the uh, subject of the lesson that day in person, uh, earlier that year, I, um, met Admiral James Stockdale. And if you're not familiar with James Stockdale, most Americans aren't. Um, if they are, they would uh, remember him as the uh, running mate for Ross Perot in the 1992 uh, election. And unfortunately, you know, and this is a man of great virtue. He's probably one of the most honorable and courageous leaders from American history. But, you know, unfortunately, he's remembered from that Dana Carvey skit in Saturday Night Live um, about the, uh, you know, that, that he just was unaware of his surroundings and some sort of, you know, um, numbskull old vet, you know, who was going, his mentally going down the drain because of his vice presidential uh, debate where his opening line was, um, 
who am I? Why am I here? And he was just mocked for that. But he was a philosopher. It was a philosophical question. If you watch the whole debate, you can tell he's very genuine. He's very he's a deep thinker. Um, after the Naval Academy, Jim Stockdale went to Stanford and got a graduate degree there and was introduced to philosophy, classical philosophy, namely Stoicism. And so he deployed to Vietnam as a naval aviator, naval fighter pilot, was shot down in Vietnam and was put in prison um, at the infamous Hanoi Hilton. It's what the pilots called the, you know, um, um, the, 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 the kind of hyper POW camp where all the American pilots or what the Vietnamese called the air raiders, the pirates uh, were kept. And, um, and, and Stockdale was a senior ranking naval officer kept there uh, amongst hundreds of uh, American pilots. And um, he was tortured uh, probably two dozen times. He was kept in solitary confinement for four years. He spent seven and a half years there as a POW. Four of those years in solitary confinement were in leg irons. Um, somehow this guy got through it all with his sanity and uh, was able to continually inspire the other POWs there um, to resist. And, uh, um, and, and so he credited the Stoic philosophy with being able to persevere that. Anyway, he gave a lecture at the Air Force Academy my sophomore year, and it was on character. And I had heard about this guy from my dad. My old man was an Air Force bomber pilot, and I always heard about a bunch of these great kind of heroic individuals. And I heard about Stockdale. And I remember my dad in the 92 election, I was 12 years old, I think at the time. And I remember him um, being very upset at the media portrayal of, of Admiral Stockdale. Like it was just so, it was just, I could tell, I remember my dad was just something wrong with what the media did to that man because he wasn't a politician. He only agreed to be Ross Perot's running mate, I believe, because he thought he owed him some sort of loyalty because Ross Perot was also a Naval Academy graduate. And I believe Perot had done a number of great things for uh, uh, POWs and returning POWs. And so I think Perot needed a running mate and, uh, and, and, and Stockdale had probably uh, foolishly in his head uh, said, hey, anytime you need a favor, you can give me a call, man. And, and, and Pro, I guess, called him and said, hey, I need a running mate. I need a vice president. He's like, ah. So, so he didn't want to be up there, but he, you know, he's a very genuine, very honest guy. You know, I don't know his politics, but he was a very decent man. And, uh, and, and the media made him out to be a laughingstock. And this was a man of, you know, so anyway, I met him and I, I got his autograph. Um, and, uh, and then in philosophy class, um, later on that year, they brought him up because he had written a, a few books on Stoicism and his, his time as a prisoner of war in which he, he won the medal of honor, by the way. And, uh, um, and, uh, so I kind of forgot about it. I said, this is kind of a neat, kind of interesting philosophy. And then, uh, Later on, when I, I really needed uh, some sort of philosophy of life, I'm a Catholic by um, birth, and uh, and I'm and 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 I like to think that I'm I'm a decent Roman Catholic, although I'm not always. Um, but uh, I needed something 
practical that was going to allow me also to overcome adversity in a legislature. Because if you don't uh, learn to quickly overcome adversity and um, um, if you're not, if you don't become very well acquainted with extremely uncomfortable social situations, then you can give in to a lot of temptation and special interest influence. Um, and so stoicism, I started applying it, reading more about it. And um, um, so I, and that, and that got me into reading a whole lot of other philosophy and, and, and wrote a book on it and uh, um, things of that nature. So long story short, yeah, I just, I just decided that I wanted to keep learning and learn and, and do my best to, to understand the world, which I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm with you there. Uh, you seem to get it better than most people, so I do appreciate that. Let's turn to uh, you know some legislation you've been behind. Um, tell us about the is it the Defend the Guard Act uh, you were behind there in West Virginia. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Defend the Guard Act. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a thought I had. Um, I want to give credit though to the Tenth Amendment Center. They. Oh yeah, I love they, those guys. Yeah, nope. yeah, yeah. They um, uh, they had a they had a similar bill. Um, and and, and I and I, th- I I had thought of I was thinking how can I affect foreign policy at the state level, and 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 what started giving me ideas about that, um, not directly about foreign policy, but just affecting uh, federal policy in general from the state level was actually that book you got on your shelf back there by Tom Woods called nullification. Oh, and, awesome. Yeah. I love yeah, that. I did too. Right. And I got, uh, you know, uh, uh, into a lot of books he wrote and that was a very practical one because he actually gives, I think a few practical examples of how you could apply those, um, Jeffersonian principles of 98 to, um, you know, uh, yeah, I actually did a, a whole episode. Oh, really? On did that. you really? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, if yeah. you're ever bored, uh, check that one out. I think it's like I will. I will check it out. No, I'll check it out. You know, sweet. So yeah, I mean, he he provides some examples of how to how to do it today to to issues that are relevant. And uh, so I started thinking about that, and I said, well, what if we apply this to foreign policy with our state's national guard units? Um, and, uh, uh, and the 10th Amendment Center had a bill, and I think I had checked with them, and they had a draft bill. So I, I can't remember who was first. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I started working with them. And um, um, so I drafted my bill and, and wrote, you know, uh, the first, uh, in 2015, I think. And it just, you know, it just kind of outlined why I was doing it and the findings of the bill. And then the bill just says that, in the absence of a formal declaration of war from the U.S. Congress, as is supposed to happen before our men and women go overseas into combat, according to the Constitution that we swear to uphold and defend, um, then none of our state's National Guard units can go overseas into combat zones. Um, so it was meant to to send a message, obviously, and it was meant to try to push back somehow on this disastrous foreign policy that that's contributed to this $27 trillion debt, you know, and not, not to mention thousands of men and women that have needlessly been killed. And um, 
So I think the founding fathers were, were, were right on the subject. I think the framers were right on the subject. I think, um, I think it's been demonstrated and proven out that we're right on this subject, that we should, you know, uh, uh, lower, war should be a last resort and only fought in self-defense. Uh, preemptive war is an idiotic concept that if you follow the natural conclusion to that, that means that any aggression is justified no matter what from a, it really, I think, leads to uh, moral relativism. So, you know, hey, if I think you're bad, whatever that definition is, I think, maybe I can just premeditate and kill you, you know, you know, murder you in a premeditated way. So, so anyway, my, the bill was designed to, to, to stop that, uh, or at least put up some sort of fight against that, that foreign policy. And I never thought it would go anywhere, but it started gaining traction uh, last year and um, uh, got a few votes on it on the House floor. We had like a, maybe a 45 minute debate on foreign policy on the House of Delegates floor in West Virginia, which has gotta be a first in this state's history. Like who would ever thought we were gonna be discussing the merits and demerits of American foreign intervention. Um, in a state house in West Virginia, you know, uh, and, and whether or not we, we should uh, relinquish our, our troops to the feds, you know, in the year 2019. So, uh, so it was 50-50, I lost the vote by one. It was a tie, wow. rejected the, the, the discharge mode, the bill, the vote. And then, but this past year in 2020, it came back again and uh, succeeded uh, with another, tie vote i had like two tie votes in a row i don't know how you keep getting 50 to 50 wow that's crazy yeah so uh so you was know the down, new... uh, party lines or no it was mixed it was it, that's the thing it was uh it was it was um you know democrats and republicans on one side democrats and republicans on the other side mainly a lot of re republicans who were just loyal to the leadership gotcha. uh, were on the other side because what happened was the brass, the Pentagon had gotten involved. Um, the, uh, the 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 adjutant general of the West Virginia National Guard had been lobbying hard against this bill, and they came up with all so they concocted all sorts of reasons as to why it was a bad idea. They give this sort of um, argument in the uh, press. They say because they don't have a an, a good argument in the press, people are like. Why can't they just vote and, on war and uh, everything's fine? I don't, we don't understand that. And so they don't really have an argument. So their argument is, well, listen, it's impractical. We're going to lose money. We're going to lose federal money. And it's a bad argument. They don't like to have the argument in the press because they, in the front of the public, because they lose the argument. It's a terrible argument to say that we might lose federal subsidies um, even though we're going to be bringing home coffins draped in the American flag with your sons and daughters for reasons that we can never give to you. Why the heck are we still in Afghanistan 20 years later? You know, so they don't want to have that argument. So they usually do things behind closed doors and they make promises or they make threats. They were pulling people's, uh, I had a, a, a friend of mine who's in the legislature, another state delegate. He was stuck with me. He's a Republican. Uh, last year, they, they threatened to uh, take uh, 
uh, funding away from a city park in his district, you know, if he voted with me anymore, you know, like, I mean, magnify that concept by a factor of a hundred. And that's what they were doing behind the scenes to a lot of this. And I mean, they were making some serious threats to people. And uh, so, you know, I, and eventually, you know, uh, uh, I lost, but I think it was a net win because now there's like sort of like a movement. We got this thing called bring our troops home, uh, which is a, a coalition of different like-minded legislators from different States. We got maybe, Last time I checked, maybe 15 states that are now uh, introducing the same bill. Uh, yeah, so hopefully we're, we're, we're shooting to have 25 um, next year introduce the same bill. So, yeah. Well, I have a lot of respect for that, uh, your willingness to take that hard stand, because the military industrial complex has such a stronghold on our policy. And I think you saw that, you know, with President Trump's election. Uh, where he was talking about having an America first foreign policy, not having a bunch of preventative wars. But right, traditionally, right. people kind of associate even questioning America's foreign policy with something on the left or, you know, hippies, um, you're un-American or whatever. But, um, you know, now I think people are trying to say, you know, why are we all over the world? And these are important questions. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and, and for anyone for or against the issue, I would just say, don't you think that uh, the reasons for going to war should at least be debated in open, in, in, in an open, transparent method right out on the floor of the House or the Senate? And so, you know, let the best arguments win, you know, and usually at least you can have the truth come to the top. And, uh, uh, and, and, and it's, it's very hard to argue against truth with a capital T. I mean, it's very difficult. People have to go to lengths to argue. Usually they make all sorts of logical fallacies by appealing to emotion. They do everything but argue on your own terms, you know, uh, with the truth. So it's, it's difficult, I think, to uh, when you're making those hard arguments. And that's really, I'll be honest, how sometimes not always I can, uh, or people in my position can affect, uh, uh, significant change just by willing to make the arguments publicly, even when like, say the speaker of the house just wants you to shut up and be quiet and he'll promise you X, Y, and Z. If you ignore that and say, no, hold on a second, these, these arguments have to be made. I think, you know, that, um, that, that can that can really go a long way because uh, uh, people then have to make decisions in from the public. Do I vote yes or no? He's forcing me into a situation where I have to make a decision. We had a deal, man. You weren't going to do this, you know, right? So that kind of thing. But when you say no, I'm sorry, we're gonna we're gonna argue this, you know. And, uh, uh, and I've done my reading. I hope you've done yours. And if you don't got an argument, you're gonna have to press yes or no, and Go ahead and, you know, explain your vote. So, you know, but that puts people in difficult situations and you have to be willing to understand that you're not going to be exactly the most liked guy um, down in, in, in Charleston, in my case, or um, what state are you from? I can't remember, Darren. Michigan. Michigan. Okay. Lansing in your case or whatever, but. You know, but but like take your state. I don't know. It's it's a little bit. I mean, it's bigger than mine. Um, 
population wise, but you know, a state house race, state representative race is cheaper. You don't need a whole lot of money to, to win a state house race. And that's another reason why I think, you know, we should, we should try to get good guys into uh, the state legislature because, um, because there, it's, it doesn't take as much re, many resources. I mean, to run for Congress or the Senate, first off, you need to be independently wealthy, or you need to make all the promises in the world to all the special interest lobbyists so they give you the money. In, in which case, now you've sold your soul. And in the other case, if you're not independently wealthy, you're wasting your time. And I could probably make the issue that it's a waste of time in general to go to Washington, D.C. anyway, because it's over there, right? I mean, you know, we've got a few guys that are pretty decent, but, you know, you got a guy like Donald Trump, who I think honestly uh, does have um, some deep convictions on trying to keep us out of these expensive uh, foreign wars uh, and blood and treasure. I, I do think he... He really means that, and his instincts typically are right on that. Sometimes his actions aren't always right on that, because uh, some of the guys I think that um, surrounded him early on. But I, you know, I think he, I think he is genuine with that. Um, but if I'm, my point is, if he can't get it done, you know, if he can't get eight thousand troops out of Afghanistan, which what we have now, because of, you know, the gravy trains going still then, I mean, what makes anyone think that, you know, Joe Smo, if he gets elected to the one congressional district that finally agrees with this guy and says, yeah, go ahead, Mr. Smith, go to Washington, you know, I just think it's a foregone conclusion. It's a lost cause. So, so I'm sorry. Sorry. I know I'm like, I'm like Debbie Downer tonight. Right. I mean, <laughs> dude, Mr. Depressing. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, hey, someone's got to say the truth. Um, so let's talk about other legislation you've been behind. Um, there's one you sponsored. has something to do with raw milk, is it? Oh, yeah, to bring that one up. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, uh, it, it wasn't even my bill. Um, but I made um, um, national news for about 10 seconds on, uh, I think it was like the Today Show or something. Uh, some news reporter, I had, a, I had the stomach flu was going around the state capitol, and uh, uh, this is going back four years, and um, it depends on what point you're in the regular session, but sometimes you'll have like a morning session on the floor, and then you'll have an evening session, and I had promised a priest I would stick around, even though I was sick, um, and, and offer some sort of amendment to a bill that was going to be up for uh, second reading, which is just inside baseball talk. That means you can amend the bill now on the House floor. And and I had, I given my word that I was going to uh, make an amendment. And I, I'm not sure exactly what bill it was, but I was bad. And um, everyone else that was sick uh, had already gone home and uh, – uh, um, uh, but I was still just there laying on my old couch I had in my office, the state house. And anyway, um, it just by happenstance, there was some bill that uh, another guy was pushing that uh, that legalized 
like contracts between farmers that live close together. I think they were called herd sharing agreements where instead of them having to drive all the way into town or something to buy a gallon of milk, they could just go next door. And if the guy had their next door neighbor had dairy cows, they could buy it off him so long as they like signed some sort of contract and it was approved by the local health department and all this. Um, and uh, uh, so they passed that and, you know, I voted for that. I mean, it's a watered down bill. It's not even legalizing raw milk really. Um, but that, that had just happened at the same time that the stomach flu thing, like I, I, I threw up in my wastebasket yeah, in my office. You know, um, and some reporter came around and uh, some young guy and, um, you know, I'll just skip some details, basically got some shots of me and uh, ran it on the evening news at night, implying that I drank this raw milk that that the guy that sponsored (laughs) the bill brought in like like some raw milk from his dairy cows. It was passing around that morning. I was already sick, by the way. Like the day before. But anyway, that morning, I'm like, I feel bad. He, we're in the hallway, and he didn't, we didn't get along very well. And he was like, "Hey, Pat," I was walking down the hallway to go to the chamber to, you know, make some arguments. And, and he's like, "Do you want some of my, uh, you know, dairy milk or whatever?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, Scott." I took a glass of milk that he's that he was pouring out, and acted. Like I was going to drink it. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning and I wasn't ready for drinking raw milk or anything. And I put it to my lips, walked through the door and tossed, tossed it around the door out outside. And um, so anyway, you know, that was the extent of my. So the news, though, made it look like course. legislator passed raw milk. And then gets deathly sick from raw milk and is laying on this couch, you know, and, and so. Anyway, you know, uh, it, uh, you know, so whatever they, the, the kid that did that got his 15 minutes of fame or whatever. And then the next day I was on, uh, they showed that clip on, uh, I think it was the today show and I don't even watch that, but that's where your stoicism comes in. Just laugh at it, move on. Who cares? I know the truth. <laughs> Gotta love the, uh, fake news. <laughs> but, um, so anyways, you're running for reelection in the, uh, house of delegates this year. Sure. And um, I want to talk about what are some of your objectives or what legislation are you going to try to push if uh, reelected? Yeah, you know, I'm going to push hard for um, this Defend the Guard Act again. I'll make some good arguments for that. Um, hopefully we'll get some traction on that. I think right now um, Americans should be um, very concerned about the level of centralized power the government has now grown to. I mean, we're not talking about just Washington, D.C. anymore. We're talking about our state governments. Uh, it's just far too much power concentra- concentrated in the hands of too few. Right now, the governor of West Virginia pretty much has become the law himself. Um, you know, I, I tried a few months ago to uh, call the legislature or achieve momentum to get the legislature into a special session to um, moderate and, um, um, and end this, this perpetual emergency that, uh, uh, that our current governor um, is continuing. And it's like that for 
practically every state in the country save a handful. And so um, I think that's very dangerous. So I, I don't even know. I mean, they, 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 they legally really have to go um, a very long way to make the arguments they're making for the power they claim to have. In our state, they're citing a section of statutory law that was put on the books back in like the late 80s that is very vague. I mean, it, it would essentially be comparable to someone saying that the federal government can do whatever it wants because in the preamble, which is the introduction to the document, it says provide for the general welfare. <laughs> yup, they love to use that That one. would be essentially the same argument that uh, the governor's team of brilliant, certified, non-genius lawyers are making right now when it comes to, we can order churches closed. We can strip you of the right to peacefully assemble. Uh, you know, plausibly, we could, I'm not going to concede any power, but we could disarm you if we wanted to. They would make that argument given the logic. You know, uh, Fourth Amendment, out the window. Now, a lot of that in West Virginia has not transpired. Uh, some of it has. I mean, they, they get, uh, you know, the governor here went with the whole lockdowns, which is essentially one man decreeing arbitrarily by fiat that everyone now is under house arrest. They didn't enforce it very strictly, but the fact that they won't concede that there are any limits to the power of one man um, that's a very dangerous idea. One man rule. There's a reason why Republicans, uh, lower R, okay, lowercase R, Republicans in general have always opposed one man rule going back to the days of Cato the Younger. Um, and it's pretty self-evident and obvious as to why that should be opposed. And that's what we have here. We also have now just blatant violations of the constitution. Um, the legislature has the power of the purse. Everyone in the United States who's gone through any sort of basic 101 civics course, you know, in grade school, um, knows that the legislature um, it appropriates the revenue, appropriates the money. They hold the power of the purse. Well, the governor now has claimed that he doesn't need the legislature for that. He can appropriate a billion or $2 billion or whatever he has his hands on from the feds now who are just printing the money up, handing it out to the states, you know, um, he can, he can spend it at his discretion. So, um, sort of like, you know, having, uh, the, making an argument that, um, all of the petty cash at the company and by petty cash, I'm going to now claim that the entire company's revenue is petty cash, and we're all going to stick it in cash, in the petty cash jar. And the CEO doesn't need the board. He doesn't need anybody, uh, the shareholders. He doesn't need to be accountable to anybody. He's just going to go ahead and spend it at his discretion. And if it happens to be spent on 10 Ferraris and uh, who knows what else, you know, all the better. But I'm, I'm making light of the situation and being hyperbolic to prove, to demonstrate the point. It's dangerous to be just blatantly disregarding constitutional law. It's precisely these emergency times, these, these times where we're fearful and uncertain um, 
um, that, that these first principles need to be upheld. Uh, uh, you know, you don't upheld, uphold these first principles you know, when, when there's no pressure, when, 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 when nothing's on the line, you know, when the stakes aren't high at all. I mean, that's easy. I mean, that's just grandstanding when you do that, you know, get up. Well, I'm so principled because I'm going to vote no against this bill that spends $10, you know, you know what I mean? Because I'm going to be a fiscal conservative. And, but, you know, now when there's, when there's a legitimate argument to be made that uh, even though the intentions might be good, there is a soft tyranny now that's 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 spread across most of the states in this union and uh and and people feel you know feel like uh it's generally acceptable and politicians are scared and and we can't let that go on i mean we that's that this is the most dangerous precedent we have so we have to curb this kind of power Uh, at least let the legislatures debate these subjects you know there's there can't be an indefinite emergency you know, I mean, Julius Caesar proclaimed himself dictator for life and essentially did it because, well, it's an indefinite emergency, right? You know, we're always at war. We've got frontiers to secure, you know, so sorry, you know, I uh, don't have uh, optimistic news, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, the truth isn't always positive, and it's not always what people want to hear, but it needs to be said, so I appreciate you doing it. But I have been thinking hard about all this. In spite of the negativity, I do think there is a silver lining because a lot of people are waking up. Right. You know, A lot of people who say, oh, I don't care about politics, who aren't politically active, oh, think things yes. don't affect them, are seeing it because you know all these big things are happening overnight. And it's waking people up. It's saying, man, we need to do something because our government's getting out of control. And I think it's uh, getting people to pay attention. That's a good point. Hopefully that is some good silver lining. Um, Hopefully people start asking more questions. You know, I think, you know, I mean, just a simple bill I'm going to plan on introducing is just a limit to the declaration of emergency that somehow a chief executive can use to justify unlimited power, essentially, just that, just some sort of definite time limit. Okay, if you need to take swift action because there's some sort of um, flood or um, you know hurricane or a natural disaster where resources need to be funneled into a specific area quickly. Uh, yeah, okay, declare an emergency, but it can't go on forever. So after a given amount of time elapses, then the legislature has to specifically authorize an extension. And then at least you can debate, you know, the subject at hand and check the executive. And executive power is, is one serious problem that's gotten away from us in this country. You know, but nobody believes in objective rules, objective laws, objective morality really anymore, and at least not in practice. I mean, look at the urban cities. People are burning down private property. Um, you know, uh, uh, they believe at least implicitly that um, the ends justifies the means. So people are literally murdering others because they believe that they're evil and it's fine to justify the 
the end goal. Politicians, they don't follow the oath of office they swear to God to uphold. Um, uh, you know, they treat that as some sort of uh, just ornamental ceremony, uh, you know, formality. Let's get it over with. Even though they're putting their hand on the Bible, um, they profess to be Christians, which I find to be despicable. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 uh, and I think one other point I just real quickly make that we can kind of, at least I've noticed, and I'm not sure if I'm right, but I've noticed from this pandemic is that we've largely become a secular country. And I know sometimes a lot around Liberty folks and other different, um, political groups, it becomes a little bit touchy when you start all of a sudden, we're fine talking about politics, but when we all of a sudden talk about religious beliefs, it's like, well, I don't know. I'm not comfortable with that, but I do think there's something to be said for the trend that our society today um, has followed. And we've become a, essentially a secular, a largely secular society. And when we compare that belief, um, which is essentially in, in, in not much, um, you know, I'm, I'm talking in general, right? Compared to previous generations who had went through far worse than this pandemic, which, which was um, uh, relatively speaking to some of the things that previous generations have gone through in this country, extremely minor. Um, past generations had convictions in a religious setting and when a secular society, for the first time, has to face their own mortality, um, what do they do? Well, I think they get really scared. I'm going to die someday. Maybe I've never actually owned up to that. I've never realized that, especially the younger generation that thinks that they can get everything for free, including my generation. I mean, you know, my generation is, you know, I'm not, I'm not much older than you are. And, you know, it's sort of an entitlement generation. And and I don't think people realize that, hey, you know, we're not going to live forever. Um, you know, and so when all of a sudden they have to, they're confronted with their own death, well, they'll do anything. They'll believe any politician that promises them safety and security um, will protect you. Don't worry. When did it become the government's job to protect you from your own mortality? You can't do it. And if you try, it's a lie and it's going to strip this country of everything that once made it great. So, Wow, that's, um, that's some really great insight. You know, I've been thinking a lot about all the fear going on, um, but I couldn't really piece it all together. But how you did it just does it perfectly and explains how, you know, yeah. all people are thinking about is the here and now. Um, but moving on, you know, where can people uh, buy your books? Uh, yeah, um, Stoicism, the State House is on Amazon. It's probably on sale right now. I think it's, I think you get the paperback for like $12 or something like that. Um, uh, it's on Kindle too. You can get the ebook e edition if you want. Um, Amazon's the best way to get it. Uh, Pretty Our Way to Poverty was the first book I wrote. That was eight years ago. It's about monetary policy. I mean, if you have sleeping problems, then go ahead and order that one. Um, you know, <laughs> no, but, uh, no, no, that'll interest yeah, me for so, sure. Yeah, uh, so, but, 
the Liberty Essays was the middle one I wrote with a buddy, Ashley Stannett, and uh, it's not available right now. It's just a group of essays about different topics. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, if you're interested in politics, if you're interested in philosophy in general, uh, and uh, and history, um, I, it, Stoicism in the State House is uh, I did, that was probably the book that did the best for me, and uh, uh, it. it I think it's because it was written in a, in a like a story and I wrote it this, like a story and it's a little bit more um, entertaining. Cool. Well, so, uh, yeah. I'll check that anyway. out for sure. Uh, so where can people get in touch with you? Uh, Facebook, Twitter, what's the best method? I'm not a big tweeting guy. I don't tweet a whole lot. Facebook, um, uh, they can hit me up on Facebook um, or, you know, they can, they can email me at uh, my, my, general personal email account is pat mcgeehan 2014 at gmail.com they can shoot me an email there uh or or they can give me a call my cell phone is 304-374-7018 they got I me mean, they got questions they could text me or whatever too i mean it's publicly listed so i get messages i got no problem with that so cool well uh i don't want to take up much more of your time unless there's anything else you want to cover no, I just, uh, uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Darren. I really do. It's great. It's great. I love Dr. Paul in the background. I see uh, a few familiar faces there with Ludwig von Mises. Uh, it's a good portrait of the, the signers. Great books. Yeah, you got a great backdrop. Yeah. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, Try to, uh, you know, make it interesting for the audience yeah. and all that. You must be a uh, uh, a lefty. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a that that is some that's, that is a you have a backdrop of uh, a, a, a a great constitutional conservative there. I mean, it, it looks beautiful. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, I'm yeah, really man. glad you like it. All right. Well, listen, uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate talking with you. It was great. I seriously had a blast, but really, thank Anytime. you so much if for I your can time. Do and, for you, uh, let me know. You take care All of right. that. All right. All right. Thanks, Darren.